What's up, beautiful people, and welcome to Taking Over the Photo Pit, a music photography podcast held by me, Boston Schultz, where I interview badass music photographers. And today we are sitting down with May Krell, who I am so impressed with everything that they do because they're a musician, they're a photographer, like so many things. And I can't wait to have May dive into all of the things that they do. So I, I, I'm like speechless at this point because I love talking to people that do a ton of things in the industry and just like really thrive. And I just love seeing all of May's work and I just can't wait to dive into my questions. So we're just going to jump right into this interview. Hey May, I am so excited to finally have you on here because I've been wanting to talk to you for a long time. And I think that we talked a few years ago for one of your publications. So we'll get into that. Oh my God. Yeah. Like so long ago. (laughs) (laughs) But I would love to have you just kind of introduce yourself and give like, I always have this question as like, what is your life story? Like what brought you into the music industry? What brought you into being a photographer, a musician where you're at now? Like tell us all the good details. Um. Well, honestly, and this is like, so I always loved music, right? But I was really shy. And mm-hmm. so like, and my little sister, um, who's now 17, is actually properly an actress. Like, like, obviously, lower level, she's done like a movie like with like, that was like a Woody Allen film. And she's done like a ton of commercials, and, like all this stuff. And so I was always just kind of like, I like to sing, but I was like very quiet. And like, Ness was the like performer, you know, of the house. So it was like, never like a thought that I would like, properly go into music. And then I went to my first concert when I was like 14 um, and totally just got obsessed with live music. And I'd never been to anything before because I didn't like grow up. I grew up in New York City, but I just never Mm -hmm. been to a concert. And um, I was like, how do I go to shows? I love live music. I have no money. So (laughs) I bought like a really shitty, I think it was like the Canon, like it was like pre the like XTI series. Like it was like a DSLR, but it was total trash. And I like bought it on eBay for like 30 bucks. And then I started sneaking it into venues in a tampon box at like really, really small shows that were like 10 bucks, like Mercury Lounge or something. And um, I went to like three gigs with friends and then had the audacity to like email a couple like random small publications, which this was 2013. So like there weren't really any small like teen run publications at the time. So it was like, whatever. And so this one guy from Texas emailed me back and was like, you have balls. Let me see if you can write too, because the photos, my photos were never like bad, but they weren't like good you know what I mean so (laughs) if you were gonna like put them up somewhere like I never did the like vignette editing like so Mm -hmm. like it was never like that bad but if you were gonna like properly have that on a pub you would need like a really solid review you know to like back up like the okay photos and so I guess I was lucky that I was like an okay writer and so he was like okay your writing is like good enough to back this up and sent me out to a couple shows. The first one I did was Foster the People, and it was, like, proper media pass. And I was... Wow. Maybe early, like, maybe 15? Like, maybe? Like, I don't know. And then I did, like, two gigs for him writing reviews, and then I guess I picked up my speed. I did some Googling, like, editing online and shit. I didn't have Lightroom yet. And um, he was like, okay, your photos are good enough. You don't have to write anymore. And so from there, I just started shooting... Um, 
a couple gigs and things went really, really fast. Um, within like a month of starting to shoot for them, I had a pretty solid portfolio because I was doing a ton of shows, started reaching out to a couple other people. And like for reference of how quick within, let me think, a year and a half of me properly shooting shows, I did a show for Rolling Stone. So like wow. very, very fast. I, I don't have no idea. Like don't. <laughs> and we're always like, how did how did that work? And I was like, I don't know. Like, <laughs> um, so yeah, I mean, that was the proper entrance into photography. Mm-hmm. And then do you want like how that w- wound into other things or like not yeah, yet? Yeah, yeah. No, because I'm so <laughs> curious because you've done so many things. And I love talking about this. And I think that I say this in my intros, like I love talking to people who do a lot because I feel like I do a lot and it's like nice right. to be around like-minded people but like every time I see your social media posts and stuff I'm like holy shit they're doing so much like the <laughs> publication like music route the like publicist really like let's just dive into it like how how did this branch out to everything else yes so once I started shooting shows I, I think I always like secretly like knew I wanted to play music but like I didn't know how to play instruments yet and like I grew up playing a little bit of piano but like growing up in New York City you like apply to middle schools like take a test and interview for middle schools like I don't know how much you know about it but it's a horrible horrible process (laughs) and so when I got into like a good middle school I literally stopped taking piano lessons because I did not have enough time because I had so much homework like it was like wild and so I like didn't really properly play anything and I had written really like bad poetry on Tumblr and this is like a whole other life but I had like ugh, like 200,000 followers on Tumblr oh my when I was like 14 and like published a book partnered with Amazon of like really bad 14 year old poetry and it actually at one point charted at number one in women in poetry above milk and honey which was like the funniest moment of my life oh um, my god I know <laughs> so I'd like written like some bad poetry and I didn't really play so I hadn't like made it into lyrics yet and then once I started shooting shows I was like oh I really want to be doing that instead and so then I started writing songs like no, okay nothing I ever did was like that bad it just wasn't good Cause like monsters, which is like my was my second single. It was like the third song I ever wrote. So like okay. it's not like anything was bad. It was just like embarrassing looking back, you know. Um, yeah. So I started writing stuff. I like like kind of like figured out like three chords on the guitar, which like at the time was enough. And then I was like, okay, how do I get on stage? Like how do I do that? Mm-hmm. And so I continued shooting because I was like, this is the closest I can get for now. And then at around, like, 16, I was, like, I really, like, I had a handful of songs, and I was, like, I really want to try to do this. And Mm -hmm. I remember I told my parents, and they, like, laughed in my face. They were, like, literally, what do you mean? Like, you don't even talk to people. Like, what do you mean you want to play music? (laughs) Which is so funny. My mom, like, loves to be, like, remember when I laughed at you, and then you, like, did all these things? Ha, ha, ha. Well, I Um, imagine, like, being shy, if you are, like, really shy, to be on stage and like be a musician would be such a complete jump from that. Oh yeah. Well, <laughs> now I've kind of like put together this like extrovert persona for like whatever reasons. But at the time I was like, I really like playing these songs. And I think I created this disconnect when I started playing open mics and stuff where 
I just turned it off. I was like, okay, now I'm playing the song. So I could be like knees weak shaking. And the second I started playing, it just disappeared. Wow. And then it came back the second I got off stage. And so I kind of like got into this thing. I was like playing some open mics. Um, Rest in peace, the Sidewalk Cafe in New York. But it was like a lot of really proper singer songwriters played like their first shows there. It's like very little. And so I played there once and my parents came and then they were like, oh, okay, you should maybe you should try doing this. But it took me like writing songs and playing like a gig, which was so funny. Um, Yeah. And so, oh, and around the same timeline, I started Tongue Tied. I think I was just bored. I don't. Oh, they no, didn't have enough things going on. <laughs> exactly. No, a lot. It was. My, I had a friend, Chloe, who was shooting like high level fashion work, and both of us would always get like looked down on the second people found out how old we are. We gotcha. were at the time, and so both of us were kind of like, "Well, that's annoying. We'll keep shooting for our like proper pubs, but like maybe instead of reaching out to like random ones when we want to cover something, we should just start our own." So mm-hmm. we like just started our own website. I was like. 15 she was like 16 maybe um but that this was like we're talking about I think there were maybe like rookie and like maybe like three other teen run publications like now it's like nice because all these girls are running publications but like at the time nobody was doing it this is like six years ago um I'm sure you know timeline wise that like it all kind of came up slow and then Mm -hmm. all of a sudden everybody was running a site which I think is amazing But, like, it was not happening then. And so it made it a lot easier for us to get, like, press press passes and stuff. Yeah. Because we had a decent readership and we were doing something nobody else was doing. Yeah. And so we started – I started shooting shows for that. I started playing a little bit. And then, yeah, I think that's, like, my – was my my teenage year projects. Yeah. That was my teenage year projects. That's awesome. There – so there's a lot of things that come up uh, when I talk to people a lot about just, like, publications in general. And I think that you kind of, like, hit it already is that there are so many kind of, like, self-run publications now. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that a lot of younger people did, like, start going that route because they realized that there was, like, this weird amount of ageism and people being mm-hmm. like, oh, exactly. you're way too young. So, therefore, like, I'm not going to get you a photo pass. And then people were, like, doing it on their own. And they were like, well. Yeah. So they're like, this is the route now. And then all of those publications started, like, really to grow. But, like, is is Tongue Tied still like actively something that you're pursuing are you still trying to like grow it do you suggest other people create their own publications like this is like a really unpopular opinion but like no (laughs) like at this point there's enough teen and like young people run publications that if you're trying to teach something as long as it's like in music you shouldn't really be experiencing ageism from yeah. Play, like teen run pods and it's already so oversaturated that like the likelihood of you properly growing it unless you're doing something different from someone else is very low mm-hmm. and so and this is I'm talking about someone who like doesn't come from money to create this right like someone who's just going to do yeah. it from the ground up by themselves I just don't think it's worth it anymore mm-hmm. um unless like I knew this girl um who was based in Texas who she started her own zine like six or eight months ago and her whole thing was like that they do like a 
bi-monthly or something zine but it was all hand collaged and handwritten and then scanned and like people aren't really doing that which is really cool and so she like kind of rose up with the zine into really easy success very quickly so -hmm. if you have a like original idea go off but like if you're just going to start a music website it's kind of like like literature for example there's not enough lit sites go off with literature feature musicians and talk about their lyrics you know but like in terms of regular sites there's just too much going on and I think the more sites you start the harder it's going to be for you to get a pass to gigs and so you might shoot for someone who like it already exists you know yeah active in the sense that they're still still being posted like we do a weekly roundup of like the best submissions of the week and we have two really great writers who go back and forth one of them's actually in the UK which is really cool um But we've kind of gotten to a spot where I am an adult and I have other focus. I say I'm an adult, like I'm an adult, (laughs) but I have like other focuses that are more important. And so I can maintain tongue tied on a very low amount of energy, but I can't continue growing it on that amount of energy. And granted, it has really good readership. And so Caro, my good friend who I work on bitch management with, um, does the socials for tongue tied and we have our writers and we're kind of trying to find a high schooler who loves art and like wants to edit the magazine for like college probably purposes like experience so we're right now kind of in the search for someone who's really serious and wants to essentially take over it with our help to pass it on to like the next generation to be able to one continue the site existence but two give them experience they might not be able to get otherwise without funneling their energy into a new publication so they're coming into a following yeah you know, so we're kind of in the search now to find someone or a that's, couple of girls who want to take over. That's fantastic. Well, if anyone's you listening and you want yeah. you want experience, like, yeah. reach out to me. Like, that, <laughs> Hit me up. that seems like such a great option because, a, like, there's a lot of work that goes into starting something and even just, mm-hmm. like, getting the first, like, I was going to say the first 100 followers, but even, like, the first 10 followers. 50, like, yeah, like, anything. Insane how hard it is to get people to, like, build that readership, that, you know, audience base. So I love that opportunity. So that's really, really cool. And you mentioned the uh, publicist side of this. So I want to dive into that. Like, how it's how another project. Why? How and why did you get into this? <laughs> um, into publicity? Yeah. Well, you know what it was? I toured my first EP, cross-country, DIY, 40-something shows, 35 states, like, super wild. Which is another thing my mom laughed at me about. Like, I remember I came home to New York. I, like, moved back home. And I was like, Mom, what would you think if I went on tour this summer? And I would like, just moved home and was rebuilding my relationship. So I, like, wanted her opinion, you know? Mm. And she was like, I don't know, like, do whatever you want. But, like, with the thought that I wouldn't do it. And then, like, fast forward, like, four months. And I'm, like, sitting in her kitchen, like, mailing out posters to, like, 45 venues around the country. And she looks at me and she's like, oh, my God. She's like, you're actually doing it? I was, like, totally kidding. Like, like the same thing over and over again with my parents always. It's so funny. Um... <laughs> I was like, "Uh uh-huh, you should believe me next time. (laughs) Um, But yeah, so when I was on tour, I could not drive yet. And so I was kind of like, okay, well, how do I not waste my time sitting in the back of the car, you know? Uh And so I decided to start building up lists of publications and writers. 
And I was just like sitting in the back of the car, like that monkey meme typing, you know, just like mm-hmm. updating. And I think I created like a eight or 900 contact list over that tour. And I was pitching just like for fun. I wrote my first press releases. And because I had worked at a pub, I knew what a good press release looked like. So it was pretty easy to imitate, right? Yeah. And I think on tour, we like got like, we had a couple photographers out at shows and we like did a handful of like interviews and photo shoots and announcement posts. And we're talking about like a small tour, like at like biggest, like 200 cap venue on the West Coast, that's smallest like a coffee shop. And people were properly coming out to do press on it, which was really cool. And so I think I had like a realization that if your lists are specialized enough and you're pitching the right way to the right people, they're always going to care, but you have to do it specialized and personalized. And so I kind of like held on to that and I did my own press for a while. And at the back of my mind, I was like, you know, I'm kind of good at this and I don't find it draining. So maybe eventually I'll do it for other people. And that was like 2018. Mm -hmm. And then I got a job in the bakery and then I worked as a bartender and I was just like trying to make enough money properly where I could produce my music and like maintain it. Right. And um, in New York City, in the West Village, you make really good money doing serving and bartending. So I didn't have a reason to go anywhere else or do anything else. And um, although I did try to be a receptionist for two days and like almost threw myself out the window. So that was like a good (laughs) like learning that I can't do that. Yeah, good learning. Um, And then COVID hit. And my friend who, Caro, who does the graphics and stuff, she was a full-time nanny. And so she was no longer nannying and I was no longer bartending. And we obviously stayed busy with other stuff, but I finally had time. And I was like, you know what? Like, maybe I should try this. Like, worst case scenario, I pay $50 for a domain and don't use it and waste a little bit of my time. And best case, it ends up being something that works. And like... Of course, the best case scenario happened. Like, I'm very much that type of character that just, like, pushes everything. Like, <laughs> I put 150% or I don't put anything in. Um, since April, we've worked with 20 artists um, for graphic design, release, PR, like, whatever, which is kind of, like, a lot for, like, a very yeah. short amount of time. Um, and so I already had these, like, semi-developed lists. And so I just kind of went in with reaching out to like really really little artists like almost even smaller than like my following which is pretty small and was like hey I can do this for you for cheap and I have these like little lists and some people were like okay and then fast forward like a month or two and I had really built them up like we're talking five six seven thousand contacts like for like just indie and pop music and so the more time passed the larger the artists we reached out to if that makes Mm -hmm. sense um we have some pretty great clients on like um we have nick hamilton who's an actor and so he has a really proper following and he just did his like first transfer into releasing a single and the single went really really well and um i'm doing a release for seasons right now which are super cool girl group from la their track came out today so they were just like texting in the group chat um and so we've done a lot of really fun stuff and we don't work with someone unless we're like obsessed with their music like so like we're talking like Kara and I will be like driving around just like blasting one of our client songs and that makes it fun too yeah and the good part is that I can focus on that as a publicist which gives me the financial place to pay for someone to do my business and Mm -hmm. so then I go from business brain for someone else and I can turn that off and go into music brain for myself 
but I can't do business and music brain for myself at the same time. It just like doesn't work Too focused on business. And so it's a nice in between of being able to do both, but not necessarily for myself, if that makes sense. But it's been good. It's been fun. <laughs> That's really cool. There's so much like of this industry that I don't know. I like I'll explain it as like I don't know how people do it because the know, like publicist right? side and like reaching out to people like even personally terrifies me. I hate sending oh, really? emails and like hate talking to like people on a business level. <laughs> no, so I'm I get just that. like I I just like don't I don't understand. <laughs> but I love that you've been doing this and like the idea that you said that you put like 150% into everything you do or nothing. I totally get <laughs> that. Like that is so how I tackle a lot of things. For sure. So it's it's so funny to talk to someone else that's like like-minded with that and it's so great to hear you you know, talk about growing all of these things. When it comes to like that side of the business, have you kind of learned from artists and other people that you're working with, like any tips for photography or graphics or like supporting musicians? Because I feel like a lot of people get lost working with like up and coming bands or local bands because they just like don't know what they need. I think, and this is like, I don't know, this is problematic of us, but we like don't work with very small bands. Mm-hmm. Um, like our smallest band, they started off with like 200 monthly listeners and doing, we just did ads for them and they jumped up to like 2,500 within like a month. And, um, but in terms of PR, like our smallest clients are probably at like 15 to 20K monthly listeners, which is like not large, but it's definitely like not super starting off putting your music out. Yeah. And I think it's because both of us are doing this in addition to another job, which for me is Mm -hmm. music and for Kara was now nannying again. And so we don't, and we made an effort to make the services affordable, like essentially label services that are affordable for people who don't often get access to them. So like- gotcha small artists, queer artists, artists of color, like all these kind of groups. And we have sliding scales for that as well. Um, And so it's really hard when you're not charging a lot to have the time to create a brand with an artist, if that makes sense. And so we kind of work with people who come in at least knowing a little bit of what they need. Um, They don't necessarily have to have a perfect handle of who their fan base is. That's something that we work on with them a lot of the time. But, like, we don't really work with people who are, like, super, super, super small. Even if only for the reason that we just can't do it personally with how much we charge, if that makes sense. Got it. Um, But I think it's all about awareness. Like, as a musician, like, if you care, I think that you can figure that stuff out by yourself. Like, you think about it like this. I am a singer-songwriter. I am a lesbian. I am... I make sad music. Um, Just those three things alone should be able to give me a handle of what my fan base is. It's probably going to be like queer teenagers, like skater kids, probably like folklore and evermore Taylor Swift fans, Halsey fans, a little bit of alt kids, because everybody at the end of the day, I think, who likes pop music and even like more into like indie rock, likes a singer songwriter if they like emotionally get to them. And so you look for, like, people who are fans of indie rock pop bands 
who like emotional music, like Folklore and Evermore from Taylor Swift's album are very much emotionally focused. Halsey's music, although like pop and electro pop at times is very emotionally focused, mm-hmm. et cetera, et cetera. And so like for fans of doesn't necessarily mean, doesn't have to mean you sound the same. It just has to mean that people like the same. Does that make sense? Yeah. Like and, like and so, appreciate that style. For sure. Or like one of my interns at Bitch, she's like, she, they should start their own band. And they all love the 1975. And so their guitar lines are very similar. So, but their vocals and their um, lyrics are definitely more emotional. So they could be like for fans of the 1975, but also for fans of like Hippocampus or Coin. You know, so I think it's just about sitting down and doing research and figuring that out. Yeah. And um, I think a lot of kids in like suburbs who are like managing their friends, I think that's what they learn they have to do. Um, the internet is such a resource. Like you can learn anything online now. Yeah. Which sure. is bad for me and my terrible focus because <laughs> I get distracted when I'm trying to learn things because it's on the internet. Uh, the internet has too much. It has way too much, but it's fantastic. I know, right? But then I wind up learning about like crocheting at two o'clock in the morning okay. when I need to be doing something else. Me. literally me Uh, I okay so now I want to hear a little bit about the musician side of this have specifically if like when you're on tour have you learned about like what other photographers are doing like well or wrong like for taking photos because I always find that interesting whenever I'm like working with a band and they go on tour and I'm like not with them they're always like the images look like this and they're so used to something else so I'm curious about like if you have any like kind of like points of view on like people taking photos of musicians from a musician standpoint for sure um I mean, I think for starters, no matter who comes to your show and what quality of photos they're taking, if you if you didn't properly hire them, you should be grateful for them even being there. Like, it doesn't matter if you like the photos or not. They're showing up and they're trying their best. And like, that should be enough for you since you're not hiring them. And I I think a lot of musicians don't really think about that. Like, they're like, oh, this isn't my style. But, like, you're not paying them to make it your style. You're paying yeah. them for them to practice. You're, like, they're there to practice because they care about your music, whatever. So, like, who cares? It also opens um, them up to different styles, too. Like, if you're working yes. with someone and you're used to them, it's like you're seeing yourself from a different, literally a different mm-hmm. point of view, a different perspective. 100%. Um, I think that a lot of photographers are either really good or really bad at this, but being conscious of genre So, like, I hate the, like, typical singer-songwriter photos. Like, if I'm hiring someone, I'm making sure that their work is, like, fun. Because when you're an artist who, like, stands and sings and is lyrically focused, the photos are all going to be boring and they're all going to look the same if you're just taking them and editing the coloring. And so I think it's super important when you're shooting. And, again, this is only referring to someone that an artist is paying. Like, I have no comments yeah. for someone doing stuff on their own like if that makes sense but um a lot of people have gone into prisms and like mm-hmm. like really properly like um what's the word i'm thinking of like uh properly doing like double exposures in photoshop and like all these different things 
um, or like those circle prisms or like editing a singer songwriter photo, like a rock band, which I've seen, which is really cool. Um, making them look like Polaroids, like all this different stuff that you can do that I think makes it a lot more interesting mm -hmm. because other than like facial expressions, because like there's like you can never go wrong with like a good photo of a singer songwriter like smiling or something. But that like isn't like if you're going to deliver a 20 photo gallery, in my opinion, only like three or four or five of them should be just like on stage basic photo for yeah. a quiet artist, because otherwise it's just boring. Um, one photographer that I have worked with, she did a lot of really fun color editing in the sense that like she properly split toned and made something look like not what it was before. Or like, I don't know if you know Briar Burns. Mm -hmm. They're incredible. Um, we shot for the same pub in the US, like they did West Coast, I did East Coast. And seeing how they, like, it's like, what concert did you go to? You know, like you want to make people feel something. And there's yeah. two routes to do that. One, make them feel like they were there in the first row. And two, completely turn it around and make it look like it's exactly your style. Yeah. Um, and so Briar is like wild at doing that um, in a way that I've never seen before. Um, Caro, again, who does graphics for Bitch, a lot of the time, like either she has or I have or one of our friends have just taken basic photos I've color edited. And then she's done like fun things around it, whether it's like little doodles or like something like that, like just something to make it stand out. Like yeah. if you want to, there's two ways to make a living as a touring musician. And this is assuming that you're chill, right? Because if you are not chill, nobody's ever taking you on tour. Um, it's true. You have to be a bro. Um, one is to be so good at capturing the moment. Like you have to be like incredible. If someone's looking at that photo and they're like, I'm in the front row. Or mm -hmm. you have to have a really cool, distinct style that nobody else is doing. And then otherwise, like you're not, it's just not realistically going to work unless you have like friends who'll take you out because yeah. there's so many people trying to do photography that you have to stand out somehow, kind yeah. of like with pubs and with anything else. Um, and unfortunately with music, like live music photography, there is a limited amount of seats at the table. Whereas mm -hmm. like as a musician, I don't think there are. I think you and all your friends can be successful and it doesn't hurt anybody but there's only so many big bands going on tour who can afford to pay you, you know? Yeah, I think that's, that's an interesting point because like I don't tour, so there's like a lot of stuff. Oh really, touring. you don't? Yeah, I don't. Mm. And I just like, I I never oh, want to leave my house. Like that's- yeah. there you go. <laughs> um, but like when I'm talking to people that are touring and stuff, it's like you're, you're literally putting yourself into a pool that has a ton of really talented people. So, mm -hmm. like, I totally get it. You have to stand out. My, like, if you look at my portfolio, I think even, like, versus yours, I kind of hit on what you're talking about, like, not doing. That my stuff is very simple, straightforward, like, capturing the moment. But I also don't work with a lot of, like singer-songwriters. I work with people who are running across the stages and I'm capturing... Yeah, you like, do more, like, ones. rock and pop-punk stuff, yeah. right? Cool, yeah. that's what I've seen. So, like, I, I totally get the idea of, like, adding more style to it. And I think that there's pictures in your portfolio, if I remember correctly, that show, like, little graphics and, like, doodles and stuff like that. And I love that. I think that's all super, like 
I don't know, like beautiful and captures my eye. It's just not something that I would personally do. So then it oh, just kind I of like helps sure. separate you from, you know, everyone else in the industry. But it's so... Oh, yeah, I have like one. I'm like looking at my portfolio and not remembering. <laughs> yeah, I have like a couple of randomly like thrown ones. But I think in general, I definitely more lean the way that you work as well. Like I've had... Whatever, and also once you get into one tour or two tours, if you do a good job, you're like almost set. Like mm -hmm. I found, they yeah. just come one after the other. Like you do a good job with this band, their label likes you, they hire you for someone else. Do a good job with this other band, they tell their friends and they hire you. You know, it's like very. I've definitely had an unusual experience in the sense that I have had a really easy time getting touring jobs. Mm. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's like I definitely. Like, I've been told when I've, like, when Rolling Stone reached out to me when I was 17, like, they were like, your photos just look like I'm standing in the photo pit. And, like, oh, that's fantastic. if we're going, she's like, and they sent me to Gumball originally. And they're like, we want people to look at it and feel like they're standing where they're not allowed to be because it's so, vi like, visual. And I think that's yeah. what you do also. But if you do that, you have to be damn good at it. You know, <laughs> there's only so many spots for that type of thing. So. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> for sure um i mean i have so many things that i want to ask you but we've already been talking for like 35 minutes um and the one thing that i like wanted to dive into that we kind of talked a little bit before is about like you kind of t mentioned the like ageism side of it where like you started the publication because you were so young have you right. faced any other like negative prejudices or can you like elaborate on like what mm. i guess what you've taken away from those experiences and learning to like make yourself stand out and like deal with any sort of negativity my favorite one is this publication in Brooklyn, not naming names, that I reached out to when I was like 17. And I really like their stuff and they were covering a lot of really cool shows. And I don't remember how they found out how old I was, but after already assigning me to a show like three days before, they were like, just realize you are not 21. Never mind, voiding contract. And I was like, why do you care? Especially because oh so God. many venues, if you're press, they let you in, even if you're yeah. not 21. Some of them you have to leave after the set. Yeah. But, like, who cares? But, yeah. like, it's not like you can't get in or something. Like, they just X you all over. Like, the amount of times I've walked into a bar feeling like a big black X. Like, no idea. <laughs> but, like, I was like, okay, dude, whatever. And then, like, with Rolling Stone, for example, total fever dream. Like, I was playing, I was tour, uh, fucking, sorry. I was, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Shooting. I was shooting a show at terminal five which is like a five thousand cap and mm. you know how like you're friendly in the photo pit with people you like say hi you exchange business cards whatever yeah um and this was a show where not a lot of people that i knew were at and so i'm talking to this one lady and she seems really nice but like you could tell that she like wasn't used to photo pits she obviously was a great photographer but she wasn't used to like the crowded photo pits oh, okay. and she was like yeah i work at an office usually but like i like shooting and i have good experience and once in a while when they can't find someone they just send me out I'm like, oh, that's so cool. I'd love to like exchange info and like chat a little bit more about what that's about because that seems really interesting. Because um, she was like, yeah, I work at a music office. So I was like, oh, I don't know okay. what it is. And then we lose each other. And like right as the last of the three songs are ending, she's like, oh, I forgot. Let me like, let's switch cards. And I just put it in my pocket. I don't look at it. Right. And I think I was like 16. So of course my dad came to pick me up. 
<laughs> so I like leave the venue and I'm done and I'm and I like sit down and I look somebody's poking me so it's like, this is part of my butt and I was like oh let me look at this and she was the like associate editor at Rolling Stone and I was like what <laughs> and so then I was like this is so cool but nothing's gonna happen and this was in like October and then fast forward to June okay picture this I'm sitting in my therapist's office oh not June like May sitting in my therapist's office waiting room okay being the angsty teenager that I am and I get an email and it says like photo opportunity rollingstone.com and I was like okay what what bullshit is this so I like <laughs> open the email and I was like they're scamming me and then I like open the actual email and it was like from someone at rolling stone and I was like literally what is this like I'm like waiting for my therapist to come out like mess of a teenager getting this email and so I was like yeah of course I'll do this and there was like no awareness of age or like whatever and I get I was working golf ball and like second day the editor who hired me was there and so she was like oh I'd love to like meet really quickly and so we're talking and I was like how do you even find my work and she was like one of my associate editors after a show that you guys were at together walked up to me in my office slapped your cot on my desk and said if you don't hire this person you're an idiot but wait for a large job because she thought I was so in demand as a 17 year old that if they hired me for a singular concert I'd say no which is so ridiculous but like whatever that's um, so funny oh and then God. like a couple months later or somehow it came up that I was 17 and she was like oh my god like she was like literally the contracts you signed are illegal but she like didn't like care but it was more so like she was like I had no idea and she thought it was really really cool because she didn't know before but like I have a feeling that if they knew they probably wouldn't have reached out not necessarily because of the whole ageism thing but more so because it requires a parent to sign and then blah 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 and like all this like more complicated stuff um but she thought it was super cool and she was like do you know you're the youngest person to ever shoot for us on assignment like Cameron Crowe was the writer but they had never commissioned anybody under 22 to shoot for them before so I was like that's amazing famous but yeah I mean in that experience like I wouldn't say it's directly ageism but it's definitely like I guess it's like low-key like it's like like not on purpose ageism yeah if that makes sense it's like this is more complicated so I'm not going to do it yeah um and so and then the thing with that publication and like oh my god the mercury lounge lady like knows who i am because she hates me so much because i came in (laughs) underage so many times that literally every time i walked in she would like roll her eyes at me and i loved walking in there as a 20 year -year old and her not being able to say anything about it anymore (laughs) so like there's like little pieces like that um i find that in the professional adult world you hit two people it's oh my god your work is so good this is so cool that you're so young or the you're so young even though your work is good blah 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 which I think there's like with those people sometimes it's a little bit of jealousy that you got started earlier than they did and then I think it's also just the idea that professionalism is rooted in experience and that experience is rooted in time rather than effort because mm-hmm. you can have the same level of like work in a year that someone else does in five if you yeah. put yourself into it, you know? Mm. Yeah. I haven't had the, like, craziest experience with Asian, but I've definitely, like, seen it, if that makes sense. Yeah. And I think that's a thing that a lot of people, I guess, deal with, because now I think that everyone's getting started younger and younger. And, mm-hmm. like, I think that it's fantastic. I started, though, when I was 21, and I was, like, going oh. to shows. So, like, I never had any like issues and then I started doing like the podcast and talking to people I was like I had no idea 
that like ageism was a thing in the industry because I never looked at it from a point of view of being like under bar age trying to get into a bar. And also the smaller the town that you're in, the more likely the venues are bars and the more likely you are to experience ageism, I'm sure. It's like I grew up in New York City and so the smaller gigs were bar shows. Like anything under like 200 cap is likely a bar show. And, like, I shot some, but not, like, a ton of those. Yeah, I mean, my favorite thing was I was on tour with this band, and they're the sweetest people. I love them. Um, But when we played Rough Trade, they were trying to give us issues about me not being 21. And so they came in to check everybody's IDs, and Charlie, who's the violinist, was like, just run to the stock room. Just, Just go, go. And then so they checked everybody's IDs, and they gave the tour manager, like, all the passes. And like they signed all the passes to show that people are of age. And so then Charlie like ran into the stock room and like slipped me one of them. And she was like, just keep your hood up for like five minutes. And so like I have this pass on, nobody like saw my face. And as the show started, it like wasn't an issue. And you could have totally fought them on the age thing, but it's such a pain in the ass. Just like get around it, you know? Yeah. Yeah. But that's and it's like, so was unnecessary. Really funny. Like just, just kind of like, okay mark my hands with an x so i don't buy drinks and then like we don't have this issue yeah i mean also like it's not like you're you can order a drink without one of your hands on the bar you can get a drink or pay for it without them seeing your hands you know it's like yeah i mean i guess you could like rub it off but like again then that's on you not the bar like they did their job yeah you know so it's kind of like so interesting it's unnecessary yeah (laughs) yeah I, like, understand to an extent having worked at a restaurant that is also a bar, being more careful when it's exclusively a bar. So if it's, like, just a bar and a venue, like, bar first, then venue, I can understand wanting to be a lot more careful, like, putting a pass on someone or, like, something so they really, really know. Yeah. But um, but also then as a young person, I think it's your responsibility to, before the night of the show, make sure it's okay. So, like, yeah. when you get your, like, approval, I don't know, like, a week before, call the venue and be like, hi, I'm media for, like, B and C show. Um, I'm under 21, but I'm approved for media. Do you guys prefer that I get X? Do you prefer that I leave after the set? Like, what is best for you guys? And, like, I think that creates an environment where you're being responsible as a photographer the band is being responsible to not bring someone in who could be a threat to the bar and the bar has the awareness that there's someone there because if you just pop up at door the person who manages the venue might not be there and the door person is told one thing and they can't just like not do it and so then people get mad but like like, being proactive and like reaching out to the venues i think that's a great idea i personally wouldn't have thought of that i think that's fantastic advice the amount of times i see people really pissed that they get turned down night of gig but like didn't say anything before and i'm just kind of like but can you really be pissed like can you really because like the door people are just doing their job yeah like why you're mad at someone for their minimum wage door job like at a gig because they were told something and they can't change it and they're not going to call their boss at 10 p.m like yeah it's one thing if it's occasionally an 18 plus venue occasionally 21 and you're 20 but, like, if it's a proper bar, like, I think you also have a responsibility in that. Yeah, I agree. So. Okay, so to wrap this all up, the last question I wanted to ask is just, like, share with us your best piece of advice that you've received, something that you'd want to pass on to people that are listening. I think 
as a as a musician, the best thing I was ever told is um, you could put out something really, really great and people might not hear it. And you could either get mad or you could keep putting yourself out there and eventually you might end up at the right place at the right time. But when you only have one chance to be at the right place at the right time, it might not work. But if you put 50 chances in, it might happen. So I think for me, like that seems obvious, but that was like a super huge thing for me to conceptualize when I was told that as a musician. Yeah. And then within like photography and like everything else in music, I think, I, I mean, I really think at the end of the day, just like, the advice of like don't let anger stop you like don't mm. like like what would you do if you didn't have any fear or any anger like you'd probably be like i don't know like if you weren't angry about being a woman in music you'd probably be more successful like that's also like super unpopular that like you not like you shouldn't be angry but like you shouldn't let that anger affect your success yeah you could blame other people for why you're unsuccessful or you could figure out why and you could fix it yeah you know and like that's not me being like i never get angry but i try to like compartmentalize and put the anger on a shelf and then be like how do i do this better if this is what i want then i want it and i'm gonna do it i'm not gonna let other people tell me what to do about it you know yeah i love that i think that's a great piece of advice um this was so much fun (laughs) I'm so happy. Yeah, that it was nice to like finally meet you, you right? Yeah. I know. <laughs> After so like many... a million years. I know. And uh, like, I feel like, yeah, we've either been Facebook friends or I've been following your stuff for, you know, probably, I would say three to four years at oh, least. Oh, yeah. We've been Facebook friends for a long time. <laughs> <laughs> and it's so funny. I'm like, hey, do you want to sit down with me and chat about photography now? Because that's just what I do and what I love. So I'm so happy yeah, that you got to sit down with me. Uh, really no, quickly. Can you shout out, like, where people can find you online and your social media Oh, my God, yes. Come stalk me. Um, (laughs) My full name is May Krell. um, And so, like, maycrell.com is my music. Maycrellphoto.com is my photography. And then all my socials are just my full name. Um, So it shouldn't be too hard to find me. But I think my photography is harder to find than my music at this point. So it's just maycrellphoto.com. Okay, awesome. Everyone go check it out uh, because May's pretty cool. I'm, I have your website still open on my computer and I'm like staring at some <laughs> of your photos and I'm just like, yeah, very cool. Well, thank you so much for joining me. I am so happy to have you and I hope that everyone listening had a great time hearing about your career and all of the stuff that you do in the music industry because it impresses me. Yeah, so I love it and hopefully I'll see you in the pit. (laughs) 